Hello again out there in Birdland. It's Sanson Tebbets along with the... There we are. Things are really getting back to normal in the good old state of Vermont. All the restrictions have been lifted. Uh, things are going well. Lots of people being vaccinated. And, uh, and we're still talking about birds. So we made it, Chip. We made it. Although I feel naked without a mask on now. <laughs> I know. We just got used to it. And then, uh, yeah, I'm thinking maybe in the wintertime I might wear one when it's uh, flu season, though. Do you think I'm thinking about that. Yeah, you know, it, I didn't get sick all winter. It yeah. was great. Maybe traveling too. So I think you know, we're all le- we're all learning reentry now. All that good stuff. Right, yeah. But um, this this time of year, uh, we're we're headed towards. Uh, believe it or not, the clock going the other way. But it uh, it's very bright in the morning, and early early morning, pre five o'clock, I saw a hummingbird at the feeder, and I was like, wow, they're they're going at it already, getting their bundle of energy and getting the day going. But the ruby throated hummingbird. Uh, it's happening. That's impressive. Yeah, you were. It was like before five o'clock in the morning. It was already active. It was already active before uh, five o'clock in the morning. It was like I don't know ten of five. I think sun comes up about five o'clock now. Um, and it was up and about, and uh, it was at the. You know, we got one of those little feeders that's at the uh, attached to the window. So it was. You know, it was. Uh, it was humming away. And it can be pretty chilly at that time of the day. Yeah, this week, uh, you know, midweek was not particularly warm. Um, you know, we had some pretty good showers on Tuesday, and it was kind of windy and brisk, and it was it was it was not the uh, you know it was not the hot stuff we had earlier. So yeah, they were they were up um, just one up and up and about. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think it was upper forties at least one morning. So yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, you know, they're probably nesting nearby. Um, it's very hard to find their nest. I don't know if you've ever stumbled upon one, but I think I've only ever found one just by chance. Um, but, you know, it's a common widespread species in Vermont, and it's, it amazes me that they're out there, they're, they're doing all their nesting and just where we don't see it. <laughs> and it it's, <laughs> not, just, it's not going to be a very big nest, though, right? Not a very big nest. Oh, man, I saw one once. Um, that someone brought to the nature center. It had been built on a clothespin. Mm. So that's if that's any indication <laughs> of how small they are. Yeah, this hummingbird built it on a clothespin on a clothesline. Um, couldn't get more exposed than that. So the, these nests are tiny, and they're beautiful little things too. They you know they're covered on the outside with lichens and spider webs. And, you know, they're only maybe the size, uh, you know, like of a walnut shell. They do expand a little bit. They, they kind of stretch. I don't know if all that spider web makes them a little bit more stretchy because as the, as, the, as the nestlings get a little older, the, the nest does expand a little bit with them. Yeah, the ruby-throated hummingbird. Yeah, and I've, um, you know, we have like a high bush cranberry trees here and we have, you know, lilacs, but I've never, ever uh, been able to uh, to find one. But that would be extraordinary to find a, a nest and I'd probably have to put some sort of camera on it if I, you know, like a nest cam or something like that if I did find one. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the ways to find a nest is... Um, to watch the, the, one of the parent birds go into the nest with a mouthful of food, but you don't really see hummingbirds flying around with mouths full of food, especially if it's nectar, uh, of course. But they, you know, they will feed their young, you know, 
little insects, spiders, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it would take a lot of vigilance uh, and patience to find a hummingbird nest. And they're moving so fast, it's, it's sometimes hard to track them. They, you know, dart in, dart out. Right, yeah. Easy to see at the feeder, but as soon as they sip away, hard to, hard to follow their, their movement it's so fast. Yeah, uh, the, the ruby-throated hummingbird. And uh, we usually go over our recipe. Uh, they're attracted to red, right? So there's a lot of flowers they're attracted to, like bee balm is one, when the bee balm is not blooming yet. But we have a lot of lilies around. Um, and yeah, they love lilies. They love lilies. Cardinal flower, trumpet vine, that kind of thing. Trump, um, trumpet honeysuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, Foxglove. Oh, did they go to Fox Club? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some of that. They've been going to that. You know, and even though they do like red, you don't necessarily need to, you know, you don't need to dye your hummingbird nectar red to attract them. Although a lot of times the feeders themselves, the hummingbird feeders will have, you know, red glass or red plastic that helps to attract the hummingbirds. And, and the recipe is pretty simple. You can make it. You can make it at home. And if I remember correctly, it's four parts water to one part sugar, and you stir and chill and serve. Exactly. Yeah, a little bit of mint. Yeah, four to one. Four four water, one sugar, and probably even more important, ultimately, is making sure that feeder stays clean because on the, on those hot days, that sugar solution can spoil. So you want to. Um, change it regularly, and in between, you know, give the the feeder a good wash with warm soapy water. You know, some people can get lots of hummingbirds to come. I mean, I mean, lots, like sometimes a dozen at once. And I've never been able to. I've always been impressed with that. Yeah, you know, they are they're so territorial too. So they, when you attract multiple hummingbirds, you're bound to see lots of lots of dive bombing, lots of hummingbirds you know, chasing after each other or chasing off other hummingbirds and trying to jealously guard that feeder. Mm. And I re- from time to time, they, sometimes they get stuck in the, in the, on the porch, on the uh, screen door. Oh, with their beak? With the beak. I've seen that before where they get, they get, they, they, you know, spirit and then they get trapped a little bit. I've seen that in action before, but uh, okay. yeah. very territorial then, huh? Yes, in, indeed. And um, I don't know how big the territory is around their nest. It might not be very big at all, but they're very, very territorial around food resources. Um, and they need to be. You know, they have such a high metabolism. Um, they need access or guaranteed access to uh, nutrient rich food all the time because uh, they just burn through it so quickly. And, um, you know, we have the ruby throated hummingbird, but. Um, out west, they have many more, and of course, uh, you've seen them in um, in warmer climates, right? Yeah, I don't know how many species there are in the world, but you know, Costa Rica alone has fifty species of hummingbird, mm-hmm. including our ruby-throated hummingbird in the winter. Um, places like Ecuador, uh, upwards of a hundred species. But you know, you go to Arizona, um, I don't know exactly, but maybe fifteen species. There's Costas and white-eared hummingbird and blue-throated mountain gem. There are a lot of species in the Southwest and, and California. You know, they have a handful as well. So, uh, I don't know why New England um, and the East in general is uh, relatively hummingbird poor, and you know, in terms of diversity. And but out west, it's uh, yeah, there are quite a few species. 
there's some species uh, like buff-bellied hummingbird only in southernmost Texas and adjacent Mexico. Um, so, yeah, we just have our one, the ruby-throated, but, you know, you travel to other parts of the New World and, and you can see a dozen species or, or dozens of species. Um, but it's only in North and South America. No, no hummingbird species in Asia or Africa or Europe. Hmm. That's interesting. I like that. Uh, well, it looks like there's a couple of common denominators. It's uh, warm and dry in a lot of those places you mentioned. Of course, the um, not necessarily in Costa Rica and Ecuador. It's probably warm and wet and rainy, and yeah, et cetera. True. So, and they're bigger, and, and we have a relatively small one, but they hummingbirds can get also large, right? Yeah, there are a few species that are quite large. The Incas in South America. There is a species called giant hummingbird in South America. I've I've seen these nectaring at um, century plants, agaves, um, and you know they're not super big, but you know definitely bigger than your average hummingbird, and probably bigger than sparrow size. So, um, and some have enormous beaks, like the sword-billed hummingbird has a beak that's. Mm, three, four inches long. Uh, some have long tails. It, it, the diversity is pretty incredible in the hummingbird family. Good stuff. All righty then. Uh, gosh, look at the time. We have flown by just like the hummingbird. We have got to um, fly out here for another weekend. Until next time, I'm Anson Tebbets. Chip Darmstadt. Or the birds. <laughs>